Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskadden. Let's get started. All right. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for joining us here on the Just to Know You podcast, where all we do is get to know you. We have us with us here, Mr. Nader Yusuf. Welcome to the podcast, sir. What's up? What's up? How's it going, Darren? Man, I can't complain. Can't complain at all. Um, beforehand, I was telling uh, Kent that, man, this guy is a jack of all trades. He's done grade four, grade five, grade six, future lab. Um, he's he's the tech guy. He's uh, dipped and dabbed in pretty much uh, everything. Um, and he's a, he's a good guy to get to know. And so we're, I'm so happy, happy that you're here. What's your favorite, man? Uh, for teaching wise, I, th- I don't know. I'm in, I've been enjoying the sixth graders these last couple of years. Um, it seems like every time I go a little older, um, I appreciate them more. And like, anytime I've gone back down, it's like, Whoa, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I forgot, you know, I, like when I went from fifth grade back to fourth grade was, you know, or anything like that, it's always like that a little, you have to remember where, where they're coming from. You know, they're just like end of the year, third graders you know, at the beginning of fourth grade or something. So I, but I think the older kids, you know, you can relate to them a little bit better a lot of times and, and sometimes just have more fun with them. Right, yeah. So is it seventh grade next year or what are you doing? I don't know about that. I don't know if uh, the other teachers are willing to give up their their, their spots, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. That's all. Awesome. Who knows? I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, see, I see you going forth, going forth. How, Anything's well, possible. Well, talking about your um, your journey and your, your flexibility, how did you get started in teaching? Um, I mean, before coming here, this is the only over international school I've taught at here in Odalia. And then uh, before that, I taught in Plano, Texas, uh, in the Plano School District. It was actually a, a school on the east side of their district in Richardson, Texas, uh, called Stinson Elementary. And I taught fourth grade and fifth grade there. Um, you know, I, I think sometime I, when I, I don't know exactly when I decided I wanted to be a teacher per se, but, um, I remember being a senior in high school and I was helping out in a, I think it was a kindergarten classroom, just doing something one day. And I was like, "Ah, I think I could see myself like, you know, teaching, you know, something like that. At that time I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, like a bunch of my friends, I was going to go to college and you know, do engineering and, you know, all that stuff, like a lot of people, you know, do. And then, um, you know, got to college and took a couple classes here and there. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm changing my mind and, and I'm in the school of education. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, I think, you know, one of the things like living, I've been, I've lived overseas as a kid too. And like seeing just how, you know, the lifestyle is for like my parents and, and like friends of mine who, whose parents were also teachers, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, this is nice. You know, we get to travel, get to have summers off and, you know, spend time with your family more so than other professions. So probably all of that put together. You talked about your childhood and living overseas. Um, in what manner did you live overseas and, and what was it like? Well, so my dad is uh, Egyptian and my mom's American from Minnesota. So um, when I was, before I started kindergarten, 
we actually, we lived in Egypt for about a year. So when I was like four or five years old, um, I don't know that I don't really consider that part of the international journey, but just cause I wasn't in school and, you know, I was, I was really little, I, you know, don't remember that much about it other than just, you know, just being a little kid playing in the street and doing stuff like that. And, um, when, uh, we went back to the States and I did kindergarten first, most of or half of first grade there in Minnesota. Then we moved actually to Riyadh and, uh, I went to school there from finished first grade, did second and third grade, um, at what is now the ACER, the American international school there back then they called it SACER, S-A-I-S Riyadh. But, uh, and it was at a different campus back then. This was in the eighties. And then, um, after third grade, we moved back to the States. Uh, I went to school in Minneapolis and like suburb right next to Minneapolis called Golden Valley, where I went from fourth to sixth grade, um, at a elementary school, then seventh and eighth grade junior high. And then my dad, uh, got a job to teach at the American university in Cairo. So we moved over there and I did all of high school at Cairo American College, which is the um, a big international school, you know, and probably the biggest one in Cairo, in the Cairo area. And, um, and yeah, and, I mean, my parents lived there until my mom retired and stuff. And uh, after that, obviously, I went back to the States for college and stuff. So, and here we are now back in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Oh man, that's a, an amazing back and forth uh, journey from you know, the yeah, states it was quite to Saudi. A bit. Yeah, Saudi and then the states and then Egypt and then you know back to the states and now Saudi uh, once again. Um, where have you felt the most at home? I mean, I always when people ask where I'm from, I always tell them I'm from Minneapolis or from Minnesota. Um, you know, the being happy Egyptian comes into play a lot. Like mostly. I would say when people hear my name, obviously, they're like, oh, well, you're obviously not just some guy from Minnesota. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and but I, a lot of times, I, you know, especially as I, when I was younger, you know, my appearance maybe didn't give away that I was half Egyptian. But then, you know, for sure, you know, even as a kid, you know, when people heard my name, it was always like, oh, well, where are you from? Or, or what, why is your name that kind of thing, you know? And um, so we'd go down that. But I, I don't know. I think I... You know, I always say I'm Minnesotan. We're from Minnesota. Um, but I always, you know, tend to include that, you know, I'm half Egyptian as well. So as a, as a third culture kid, you know, growing up and um, having dual identity, what was your biggest struggle? I think, I mean, kind of like I mentioned, just mentioned like the appearance thing. Um, so like, like I've told people this before, it's kind of like when I was in the States, I was more like an Egyptian American, you know, like because of my name, because, you know, the, it didn't matter there to people whether I was, you know, I mean, my dad was Coptic Christian. My mom was Catholic Christian. So we were Christian. And, you know, most people associate being Egyptian or Middle Eastern with being Muslim. So it didn't really matter that much that I was in the States, whether I was Muslim or Christian. It was but, oh, because of his name, he's he's not from here. You know, but then when I would be in the in Egypt, because I, I I still to this day I don't speak Arabic fluently. I, I can speak well enough to get by, but not speaking fluently and uh, you know having a mom who was white from the states and, and and not being Muslim, it was more like I was an American there. You know, and 
and so like being a, i guess an american egyptian or i don't know what, what you call it you know and so it was kind of that thing where it was like you know whether i was here or there it was you know on some level always maybe feeling out of place or or different from the other people but but i mean that's kind of like how, that's i mean we're always we're all different anyways and it probably made me better in that aspect just because you know i was, had to have my own identity and i don't know i wonder if that's you know you you're able to relate to, to the kids in such a way because you know being a third culture child yourself um understanding those struggles of them you know just trying to fit in you know trying to make a name for themselves and all because when i walk by your class it's such a, a a cool vibe you know what i mean like everybody is is it's pretty much in community and you know kind of laughing joking you know um kind of entertain each other but also you know on task and all that that great stuff that's that's awesome man so how do you when it comes to identity and things how do you how do you set that for your your family or um how do you think the kids explore their their identity? Uh, that's, I mean, I, you know, our, our kids are still little. I mean, Layla's in fourth grade and Jacob's in second. I mean, he's lucky to be both. Layla had it was in your class a couple of years ago, and now you got Jacob. So you've had to deal with them in a school <laughs> setting. But um, I, I think, you know, they're still, they're not really, you know, they're at an age where may, maybe Layla's starting to think more about that kind of stuff. And, you know, we talk about, like, you know, we tease Jacob just because, like, he was born here. And so, oh, yeah, you're Saudi. Like, you know, you know, and he's, he, you know, and sometimes he believes it. He's like, oh, well, then, you know, we're, but you know, he knows he's American. And, and like, you know, and because Layla was born in Texas and, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, Layla's more like her mom because they were both born in Texas. Jacob's more like me because, I mean, I don't know. He, I wasn't born. I was born in Minneapolis, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know that's something definitely as they get older, you know, and um, you know those kind of things come up with, you know, you know with with their last name, you know, even because my wife, you know, she gets especially being here, you know, a lot because she doesn't she doesn't look Arab you know, and, or doesn't dress that way in any way. And she's had many Saudi women asking, like wondering, like, why is her name Yusuf, you know, and, right. and things like that. And so I think, you know, the kids will probably, as they get a little bit older, you know, especially if they're not here, you know, being here, I think it makes it more, more commonplace, you know, there's right. a lot, cause yeah. we have a lot of kids who are, you know, from mixed cultures or a lot of kids who are obviously Arab being in this part of the world, but, um, you know, when they end up going back to the States at some point, they'll probably have to deal with it more as like, you know, what, Yusuf, what, you know, what kind of name is that? And, and things like that. But I don't know, hopefully we, we teach them and bring them up in a way where they're going to be comfortable with it and proud and, you know, and just be them. Let's dig a little deeper. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, just, just speaking of that, of how you um, have kind of uh, developed yourself and laying the path, who is one like historical figure that you identify with and that you can kind of um, see set, setting the foundation for someone as yourself to follow, so to speak? I mean, I don't know. So much of what, like, you know, growing up and the things I'm interested in now and as a kid, you know, were more sports related and you know 
you know, just being more into those kind of things. And I think most of the stuff that I, I've learned or come to be is probably just more from my family as opposed to like any historical or famous person, you know, like that to say that. It could, it could be a sports, it could be, could be a, a an artist, it could be I mean, family. What, like, so one of my favorite players as a kid was Charles Barkley. And it seems like as he, you know, in, in present day, like when he's on, you know, when he's on Inside NBA on TNT, you know, he's definitely become known for saying outlandish things and and speaking his mind and, and things like that. And but I just I mean, I remember just, you know, the, the way that he played when I, you know, as a kid. And, you know, that's kind of like, you know, the playing tough and playing hard and and, uh, you know, hustling and all that stuff were the things that I liked and uh, i remember there was you know the um he had a couple sayings or commercials you know like about how you know he wasn't a role you know i'm not a role model you know and mm. and it wasn't you know you know that's not like to, so to say that you know i liked him as a player it's not like i didn't look up to him as a you know as a model like as a person necessarily because i don't know him as a person you know like i don't i looked up to him because of his the way he played and the you know as a as a player and and so i think i appreciated though that message whereas like you know because he in interviews and stuff he's talking about i mean i i even remember had i had a t-shirt you know from when he was on the sixers that said like oh i'm I'm not a role model and Mm -hmm. and like he talked about how you, you know like parents and teachers and and, you know, people like that are the ones that we're supposed to have our kids looking up to and raising, you know, the kids, not not professional athletes. And, you know, and then I don't know, something related to that, even like because I'm a I like, you know, I love golfing, like both playing and watching it. And how, I've always been a big Tiger Woods fan. And even like, you know, when he got into all his trouble with his, you know, with his family and all that stuff came out, out about him, you know, I remember having conversations with people being like, Oh, I don't like tiger anymore, you know, because of what it's like, I still want to watch him golf, you know, like I don't, you know, I I didn't, I didn't like him in the beginning because he was a good husband or a good father. You know, I don't know what, what kind of person you are. It's, you know, and so those are the things, you know, I guess there are those people throughout history, you know, who probably were fantastic role models and did great things for, you know, society and civil rights and things like that. But it was more like, I don't know that I ever, <laughs> that's a little lofty for like what I'm at, you know, like I'm, I can't put myself on that kind of level. <laughs> I can see though, uh, you emulating Charles Barkley in the way that you are kind of straight, no chaser and the way that you, you deliver facts, opinions, um, pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, we talked about that, like, you know, what you see is what you get. You know, I'm not going to act one way with in this situation and another somewhere else or, you know, that's, I don't know. It should be who you are. I'm not mad at that. Not mad at that at all. Uh, I also know that you're an avid, from what I've seen, avid um, golf player. Like, I, I went and saw your, your uh, shoe collection. But golf shoes, <laughs> golf shoes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and how did you get started uh, playing golf, and what fed your love for it? Uh, probably the the very first thing that got me into golf. Like when I was a kid, there was a the Golden Valley Country Club was you know in the same in the city you know where I lived and when I grew up when I lived in the states and and as a kid wanting to just earn money you know to buy video games and whatever and 
baseball, basketball cards. You know, I, in the summer, I, I became a caddy. Oh. And so for two, three summers, I think I, I caddied at this country club. And, you know, and my mom had signed me and my brother up for, you know, the re- you know, the community recreation, whatever, the park and rec golf lessons or, or, you know, golf for kids where we'd go over to the little par three, nine hole course and, you know, and just, you know, and play and, you know, kind of never got lessons that I re- really remember, but just, we, you know, got us some cheap clubs and mm. we, we started playing a little bit. And so I played a little bit as a kid. And then, you know, as we got older and you know, it's expensive. So like when I was in college and stuff, I wasn't really playing golf ever. And, and then I th- a few years before moving over, moving here, actually, maybe five years before we moved here, I, I picked it up again and like, you know, got a new set of clubs and just started playing with one of my friends, you know, not, not every week, but, you know, at least once a month or something like that, twice a month. And, I've been, you know, just been playing more and more since. And now I try to pl- I play every weekend and don't practice enough, but <laughs> I go out and play anyway. <laughs> all right. As a golfer, your top, top three courses all time. Top three courses you've played on. That I've played. That you've played. And why? Uh, so number one, whew, I don't know. How about in no order, the top three, I would probably say are Dumbarney. Who? Dumbarney Links in Scotland. It's a, <laughs> it's a newer course, but it's a really nice. Uh, I don't know. We, I played it a couple of years ago. Um, just a Links course, like right on the water and super difficult. You know, just makes you realize how bad you really are. <laughs> and then uh i mean i could say the other ones there but i'll switch it around there's i played a course in uh jack nicholas course in florida called old corkscrew and it was like just really well like very well maintained and like just lots of like variety and it was going like in and out of like it seemed like a i don't know the florida jungle i don't even know if that's a thing but it was like you were in the jungle because there's animals everywhere and like lizards and you're hearing all these noises and um but just the course was really really nice um and then man one more i i mean since coming since coming over here i've gotten to play a lot of really like fantastic courses uh, i guess maybe uh in in oman there's a course called El Mouge, which is right on the water. And it's a really nice Greg Norman course. And I was just, I remember it was uh, just being really impressed by it. And, you know, it's, you know, when, when you're not hitting good shots, every course is hard. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, so for me to say, oh, this course is way more difficult than another. But, you know, those are three, but so many of them stick out, like, that you know that I could I could would love to go back and play or 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 even ones that I've played more than once that I you know could always go back and play again. Um, I mean, there's ones in Dubai and you know, like you know Yas Links and Abu Dhabi and I don't know Whistling Straits and in Wisconsin. I I could go on and on. <laughs> it's interesting because as someone who hasn't you know uh, dabbled in golf very much, 
Uh, I've never heard golf courses described from um, just a picturesque perspective. Like for you, it sounds like it's the scenery, it's the trees, it's the environment. And golf is a way in order for you to navigate that environment and take it in. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's probably the thing about it that I, I mean, the the challenge of the game itself is, you know, is one thing that's, you know, that's never going to change. I think no matter how, I think no matter how good you get at it, you can never beat it. You know, there's always, you can always do better. And, and I, that's probably what part of the reason why it's so frustrating, but like the, the one thing that like to seek out these different courses and like to see them and, you know, just be outside. And, you know, it could, there's been times when, you know, the weather has been, you know, fantastic and had a wonderful time. And then there's times when it's like, we're freezing, you know, the rain's coming sideways and you, you know, it's like, we don't always go back go in, you, you keep going. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and so it's, you know, there's, I don't know. It's part of that part of it, you know, part of that being out in nature. And, and that's one of the, re- you know, like I talk to people about like being down here in Odalia and like, cause for most, of, most of the time we've been here, I used to play our course down here every weekend. And, uh, just then a couple of years ago, I started playing up in Dahran and now I go there every morning or every Friday morning or whatever on the weekends. And part of it is that reason because, you know, we're still in Saudi Arabia, still not a lot to look at outside of the course, but you know, it's part of that being on the grass and, and not being just on the sand and, and things like that, that make it more, you know, for me, but I, I enjoy it more that way. Um, bringing us full circle, you were talking about, um, you know, how it's, it's different being here in Saudi Arabia. How did you get from, Texas to Saudi Arabia in your teaching journey? When I went, you know, finally decided in, in college that, yeah, I'm going to be a teacher. My 100% I was planning on, like, yeah, I'm going to go teach overseas. Like, it was like, I'm going to go. Uh, I mean, I went to the University of Minnesota, and the plan was that I was going to, you know, after I finished there, I was going to teach two years and go overseas. Because that was like, you know, the thing, like, you know, you got to have two years of experience in order to get in anywhere decent. And, I ended up moving down to Texas to teach. Just it worked out. Like I had a couple of my friends from high school lived in that area. And then when I student taught in Minneapolis, in the Minneapolis area, uh, the woman that I student taught with in her fifth grade class, like her husband, who was also a teacher, had a student who um, was a principal down in Texas. So, you know, I went to a job fair met this guy. He was a high school principal. So he was just like, Oh, give me your resume. So, you know, one thing it was that easy and it, it like couldn't have been any easier. I forwarded my resume and then I had like interviews set up down in, in that school district. And so got down there, ended up meeting Jen, my wife at, at that first school, that school I taught at Stinson elementary. And, you know, and so after being there for a little while and, and dating and everything, and then we got married and, so my friends from high school are still living in the area and they're still there now. And like, you know, so years are years start going by a little bit and, and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to be going over. And my friends are like, you're not going anywhere. You know, Jen's not going <laughs> to let you leave. You know, hey, she, you said, can I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, what made it like, it seemed like you were, it just worked out. You were just like by Minnesota. 
Like you just like oh, oh I I mean after going to college like as a kid living in Minnesota is great you know it's uh, snow in the winter it's you know the weather you don't mind it but then as in a like going to when I was there in, for for in college and you're there during the winter it's like and you know so like basically November through March you're in it's winter you know and it's not like winter for like people you don't know like the the kids here they don't understand what winter is you know and it's like. And after, like, I just remember, you know, going to some of my classes when I was in college and, you know, sometimes I'd had night classes. It's, you know, February and I'm coming home, <coughs> you know, I'm leaving, walking through campus at 930 at night. And I'm just, you know, and it's the actual temperature is 20 below and it's 30 degree, 30 mile per hour wind. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what am I, you know, what's wrong with these? It's like. <laughs> And so I just decided, I was like, when, you know, I'm leaving after, I'm not going to stay here, you know? And, and so that's how, like, and, you know, I remember going down to visit those, those high school friends in Dallas one, one spring when like the Timberwolves were playing the Mavericks in the playoffs. So I went down for the couple of the games and, and like a couple of their parents lived in that area in, in the Plano area. And I was like, ah, this is pretty nice. You know, I could see myself teaching here, living in this area and, and it just happened to work out where that the woman who I student taught with her husband's former student was a principal in that school, in the Plano school district. So whatever is, you know, and so that's how that happened. But then, you know, I kept telling my friends that I was going to leave. And, and, you know, like I was saying, they, they're like, you're, you know, she's not going to let you go anywhere. You're, you're stuck here. And um, so whatever, then eventually um, I'm trying to, like, I think I, I, I taught there nine years before we moved here. And so it was probably like around the seventh or eighth year when we were talking about just like, okay, well, what, you know, what are we doing? You know, what, you know, and I, and, you know, Jen was like, okay, well, let's look into it. And um, one of my friends who, one of those high school friends who lives down in Dallas, his mom and dad were teachers and like, she had become an assistant superintendent and all this in other schools. And, so I reached out to her and just was like, you know, asked her about what she thought and where it would be good. And she actually said, oh, you should look into teaching for Saudi Aramco. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to bring Jen to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was, and I completely dismissed it. You know, it was like, that's not even on the, you know, I had a list of countries and and schools that looked appealing and like it wasn't on there. And uh, <laughs> so we filled out the search associate stuff though. And, and then uh, I think we got an email from Lisa Samoji just, you know, talking about, Oh, you know, we're interested in, you know, as a, you know, hiring you as a couple. And, and that was pretty much it. Shout out to Lisa Samoji for holding it down all these years. Yeah. She's, <laughs> I mean, she's gotten everybody in here, I think. Right. Uh, that's amazing. And you just, jumped in with with two feet and it's been smooth sailing ever since yeah i mean i think you know we when we finally were like yeah we're let's do it it was i mean i don't know if what the exact conversation between jen and i was but you know there was probably my intentions of how long we were going to stay was probably initially longer than what she was maybe contemplating but i mean she you know both of us love being here and I don't know. I still don't consider it my home and in it by any means, but uh, it's, it's kind of become that, you know, like, yeah. you know, cause this is what our kids know. And, you know, we've been here for a while now and, 
and it's definitely you know we love our jobs and it's comfortable being here if uh if, if people don't know uh Saudi Arabia has four campuses um Dahran would be considered like the great dane and then you have <laughs> you have Rastanor, which is like a, a lab and then you got Abcake. Abcake, you know, it's, it's it's getting a little smaller. That's more like a chow chow. And then you got Udalia. Udalia is more like a, a large chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> Just the size comparison. So y'all have been in, in, in Udalia for uh, the duration of your time here. How, ha- how have you made a, a place um, that's it's full of love, full of heart, but can sometimes be a struggle as far as um, – with having such a small confined to a small place, how have you all made it home? And I mean, have just been um, jovial back backbones of the community. How have y'all done it? I mean, I think, you know, when we came here, when our daughter was one and a half and um, you know, not like, not that we were, you know, before we had Layla, we were out at the clubs every night or anything like that. But, (laughs) you know, we were at a point in our lives where it was like, we have a one and a half year old, we're not going out all the time anyway. You know, we, right. you know, we didn't, um, you know, so that, and, and even, I mean, just thinking of the years that we've been here, things have changed so much. Like now we, you know, a lot of, you can go to Hafoof, no problem mm-hmm. and go out to eat and do whatever. And it's, uh, you know, there's, there's options, but like, even, you know, in the years we've been here, I think what this is our ninth year, like there wasn't much in Hafoof when we got here. You know, and but that didn't, you know, that didn't really bother us that much because it was like, you know, we're happy being at home and, you know, I'm happy to cook and, you know, I cook it, you know, pretty much most nights of the week, you know, and then it's just because of the small community and the, you know, the way that people are here, it's um, very, I don't know, great for like young kids. It kind of reminds me back, like if, you know, when I was a kid in the States, you know, the, the neighborhood we lived in was kind of, even though we were like, you know, 10 minutes from downtown Minneapolis, it was like the little neighborhood that my parents' house was in was like just a, a, a couple side streets off and like kind of secluded from any busy roads. And it was like, we had our own, like we could just roam and do whatever. And that's kind of how it is here. Like, you know, the kids kind of do whatever they they want and it's it's safe and you know we don't really as parents don't have to worry about them getting into too much trouble and obviously there's not as many kids and stuff like that as up in Dahran and things like that but you know for the most part the ones who are here and the other teachers and the people you know who live here are are good you know our neighbors and community members and co-workers and and good friends so you know, and that's why we're still here, I guess, after, you know, nine years going strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious to know what other countries are on that list that, that Saudi did not make. Oh man, you, like <laughs> a lot of I mean, I think the list was at least twenty twenty plate like I probably had a handful in Europe, you know, a number in Southeast Asia. I think like, you know, the Emirates, you know, Abu Dhabi and Dubai were, were possibilities. I don't know. Just I, the part of it was because, you know, my wife hadn't traveled a lot. I just kind of thought, you know, like, you know, this isn't the place where most people would look at as being their ideal destination. I know they're trying to make it that 
that destination location now for for tourism but living here is great but i don't know i don't expect to get a tourist visa after i leave (laughs) (laughs) what are some things one or two things that you've learned from being specifically in saudi arabia or in overseas at general that you don't feel like you would have had if you've stayed in good old minnesota or texas i don't know so like you see people from all over you know getting to meet you know, not just other Americans, but people from other countries. And we get to, you know, there's this, especially here, like you were saying, the community is small enough, like where, you know, we are, we do interact with like other people who aren't teachers or, you know, who have different jobs within Aramco. And so I think it's just given the opportunity to be around a lot of different people and experience a lot of different things that definitely wouldn't have back home. One thing that I would say that you do take from home uh, though is your fashion sense uh people people would know that if they saw this shirt that you got on uh <laughs> that is real flashy i'm telling you it's flashy well, it's not that flashy bro it's, it's flashy you got the second button unbutton i see chest hair it's flashy. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so but you do have also a very extensive shoe collection like it is insane um, where did you get, and when I say insane, I mean, there are over hundreds of shoes. I don't know if the pl- hundreds, H- plural, H- oh, oh, over a oh, hundred, over a hundred, my, my apologies, <laughs> my, my Southern draw, my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> but there's over a hundred at least, and you have shoe rooms in multiple countries. How did you start? <laughs> In multiple countries. In multiple countries, man. (laughs) You know, uh, internationally known, locally respected. (laughs) How did you start your your shoe collection and um, what significance is it for you? I I mean, I don't know. I've just always like, I, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, you know, wanting those Jordans for 125 bucks and <laughs> my mom being like, hell no. <laughs> I mean, she never said it that way, but <laughs> it was just a firm no. And, you know, and I, I think as, as we got a little older, like I remember in, you know, specifically like maybe starting like sixth grade or fifth grade, like when I, for playing basketball, like, you know, I would get, my mom would, my parents would buy us, you know, like, our basketball shoes for the season. And like, mm. I remember, you know, oh, we'll pay this much, anything over that you got to use your own money. And, and, yeah. you know, and so, you know, and I never, I mean, back then I didn't buy those Jordans cause I wasn't going to use, I think the, I think what she was, she was going to pay like maybe at max $50. Mm. So I wasn't, I wasn't ready to spend 75 of my own on, <laughs> on those, those Jordans, but like, but I would get ones, you know, up around a hundred and, but then it was like you I wasn't allowed to wear them. You know, I, I you know brought them to basketball and a bat and you know especially living in Minnesota as a kid like you ruin the shoes if you wear them outside during basketball season cuz it's, you know, November to whatever, you know, it's the winter time. Right. And so I remember, you know, I wasn't allowed to wear them outside of basketball practice or games until after the season was over. And I don't know if that just made me like, you know, just more excited for them or like, Oh, I can't wait, you know, or, or which pair am I going to get this season or what it was, but just, I don't know. And like, you know, all the, com- I've mentioned, you know, like Charles Bart, like I've seen all the commercials, like, you know, the David Robinson pumps, the, you know, and I'm, I'm a Nike person. Like I, you know, mm. pretty much all my, sh- all my athletic shoes are Nike. So, 
I'm biased towards that. But um, as I got older and, you know, stopped going out of my shoes, then it was like, oh, then, you know, I just like to wear different ones. And I just, I don't know, just started, like, I wear all my shoes, too. I don't, I don't keep them, like, you, like, you're making it sound like I have this grand collection that's for just display, but they're for use. <laughs> like, and, that, and that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I try not to wear, you know, there's sometimes when I really like a pair, I'll wear them a couple of times, like maybe twice in a week or, you know, once a week for a little while, but I try to cycle through them all and, you know, I don't know, have a few pair of those Jordans that I never got when I was a kid now that I actually, there's a couple of pairs I, that I've never worn that, like were the two Jordans that I wish I could have had when I was a kid. And I'm just, it's not like they're that, that special to me. It's just, I worry that if I wear them out one time, I'll get them dirty. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, uh, that's more like why I keep those ones special. But, but then the same thing you mentioned earlier, like I have a bunch, like way too many golf shoes as well. Yeah. Yeah. But Hey, those are, those we, are fun to get to. I guess, you know, when you play like you play, man, you know, you, you reward yourself. Yeah, I have to have, I mean, you have to coordinate, right? <laughs> shoes got to match the outfit. Got to match the so. fit, yeah. Well, Mr. Yusuf, it's been uh, my pleasure. I have one more question for you, okay. um, and then we're going to phase on out, okay? So as your, your uh, son and your daughter are growing up, um, they are obviously third culture kids. Um, they all obviously have uh, dual identity. And so for them, your uh, legacy saying, what would you tell them about growing up as third culture kids as they come to know who they are? I think, you know, probably all of us at some, at, through our lives, you know, we, I don't know. I remember having the conversation with my parents, like, you know, it wasn't until blah, 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 whatever age that I realized like, ah, oh, you guys are probably right about a lot of things, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> maybe I should have listened a little more, but you know, just to, to appreciate a lot of the things that I think my, our kids are way more spoiled than me and my brother were not that we had it rough in any way. Mm-hmm. You know, we were like fortunate, like my parents, that's, you know, one of the things my parents did a great job of providing for us and making sure we were always comfortable and had what we needed and, and usually what we wanted but like our kids are way more spoiled than we were, but like, just so that they appreciate the things, you know, like of, you know, like getting to go to different, you know, traveling where a lot of the, you know, a lot of the kids back, like when we were growing up, like they don't leave your hometown or, or, you know, or get to go on vacations and, and, you know, and we get to do that. And, you know, hopefully it's something that we, you know, we teach them that, even though we love our jobs and sometimes you still have to work, you know, to get to a point where it's like, Oh, you can, you can also enjoy and do those things. And cause I don't know, there's a, one of the more recent Chris rock, uh, standups, he's telling a story about one of his daughters when she was like in kindergarten and, uh, like something about like, Oh, the teacher said, uh, you know, we're going to learn about the four seasons in class and his daughter said oh that's my favorite hotel or whatever and and that's one of the things i worry about with like you know for my kids like you know i don't want them thinking everything's just like oh nice vacations in bahrain and going out to eat and doing you know and buying all this stuff it's like you gotta you know because i don't know like even jacob a couple weeks ago was asking about like 
you know, how much money does he need to make in order to buy a house? He was talking about here in Saudi. Like, mm-hmm. my, my first word was, why do you want to buy a house in Saudi Arabia? But, <laughs> you know, how much money so that he can, and he even said, so he can stay at home and play video games all day. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what? <laughs> Man, this guy doesn't get it yet. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. Just hopefully they, they appreciate those things that, like, you know, that I've, even as, I'm sure when I was their age, I was, had similar thinking and stuff and but have come to re- recognize like oh yeah our, you know if it wasn't for the hard work that you know our parents did and stuff like that that you know we wouldn't have been able to appreciate a lot of the you know or experience a lot of things i should say and now looking back be like oh wow we were lucky you know yeah so hopefully yeah. they can they come to that realization and can do the same thing for their kids and just keep it going uh, i can't wait to See you as a grandpappy. <laughs> as they continue to pass this legacy on from generation to generation. So, Mr. Nada Yusuf, thank you uh, so much for allowing us to have this uh, time with you um, and understand that at this specific moment, the most important thing that we could do is just take the time to get to know you. So, thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Darren. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Just To Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.